A Radical Look at Scottish History with Stuart McHardy Part 4 Early Peoples of Scotland In the centuries after the Romans left, we rely on sources from outside of Scotland to try and understand what was going on here. Due to repeated invasions from the south over many centuries and widespread looting and destruction of the abbeys and churches at the Reformation, very little early Scottish written material has survived. We thus have to look to Ireland and England, and in particular this has meant using what are known as Irish annals, documents that arose from annotations in the margins of the calendars that were kept to calculate the various movable feasts of the Christian church. Now, while the Romans mostly refer to the people up here as Caledonians or Picts, by the middle of the first millennium, various peoples of Scotland are being referred to as Picts, Scots and Britons. The Britons were the people of Strathclyde, very similar to and related to the Godothan of Lothian, who the Romans had earlier referred to as the Votidini. In the earliest extant document from the north of Britain, known today in Welsh as E. Godothan, we have an account of a heroic battle between the Godothan of Lothian and peoples from the south. Discussion continues as to where this battle took place, but recent research on this has brought up a remarkable fact. For a long time it was thought that the phrase Mundok Munvaur referred to a king, the man who had summoned the warriors to a feast on Dunedin. Edinburgh Castle Rock. It has now been suggested the phrase actually refers to that meeting of the warriors with a translation of something like the mountain or hilltop court or assembly. Given that the poem itself makes little reference to the rank of any of the 60 or so warriors mentioned by name, we can see this as a society still essentially tribal and not led by a royal dynasty. And this may well have been true of the other main groupings in Scotland at the time, the Scots and the Picts. The leaders may well have been more like high chiefs than kings, with their roles being defined by their place within the kin group, rather than being over it. When the Godonan poem was written around the year 600, the political picture was beginning to change decisively. To the south, the kingdom of Northumbria had come into being, of an earlier combined the statelets of Deria and Bernicia. These in turn had arisen from the banding together of Germanic mercenaries who had originally been recruited to man Hadrian's Wall by the Romans. From the beginning, these statelets were organised on military lines and it has been suggested that their first kings had originally been known as Kunings, or military warband leaders, from amongst Germanic warrior tribes. Whatever their specific origin, by the 7th century, Northumbria was an expanding militaristic state, its leaders intent on absorbing other lands and people. This is in direct contrast to the warrior tribe's practices of cattle raiding, a generally seasonal activity that could, and probably often, did lead to small-scale battles. However, in the battles against these invaders, there was a need for the tribal confederations of the north to develop the capacity for warfare as opposed to battle, and this would have demanded a new level of centralisation of their military activities, which must have affected all levels of society. From the earliest invasions by the Northumbrians to the time when the Picts and Scots apparently allied to form the new state of Alapa in the 9th century, the picture is complex and our few sources suggest considerable volatility. Under pressure from the expansionist northern kingdom, the loose confederations were beginning to change. But 
they were essentially tribal for a long time after. The border reaver tradition lasted well into the 15th century, and of course in the Highlands, the cattle raiding warrior society lasted till the 18th century. Now modern research suggests that in the period before the Scots and Picts did create the nation of Scotland, there was considerable intermarriage between the two peoples, certainly at a high level. And it is notable that several kings of the Picts, according to the Pictish king list, were Scots, just as there had also been Britons. This suggests a unique form of kingship, and those same king lists make it clear that the inheritance of kingship from father to son was unheard of. It may even have been that the dynastic line, if one existed, passed down through females, and the king got his title on marrying the queen. There have been suggestions that quite a few of the people mentioned as parents of Pictish kings in the lists of female names, and thus were their mothers, not fathers. We shall see in time, hopefully. Now, with the borders and the Highlands remaining essentially tribal for a long time, the situation in Scotland, as I say, was very, very complex. And in the Declaration of Arbroath, it says of the king, if he should give up what he has begun, seeking to make us or our kingdom subject to the king of England or the English, we should exert ourselves at once to drive him out as our enemy and as subverter of his own right and ours and make some other man who is well able to defend us, our king. This seems a strong echo of the well-attested tribal and Scottish clan practice of replacing a chief who is considered not up to the job. Perhaps in terms of Scotland's history, we would be better concentrating on kinship rather than kingship in this early period. The third of the peoples of the first millennium were the Picts in the north and east and the Britons in Gondoth and south of the fourth Clyde line, the Scots of Dalriada, effectively modern Argyll in the Inner Hebrides. For a long time, a cornerstone of Scottish history has been that the Scots were a Gaelic-speaking confederation of tribes who'd come over from Ulster around the year 500. They had three related tribes or clans, Kennel Nongusa, the Kennel Lorne and the Kennel Gowran, and they feature strongly in the period when Northumbrian expansion was leading to significant change. They were, as the launching point for the spread of Gaelic over much of the mainland, probably as a result of the influence of the expanding Christian church, the progenitors of what eventually becomes known as Scotland. However, the story of their arrival from Ulster exists in a single original source, Bede's History of the English Church and People. And it's always bad policy to base history on a single account. In 2000, June Campbell of Glasgow University published a paper entitled Were the Scots-Irish, which drew attention to some very awkward facts for this supposed cornerstone of our history. He looked for archaeological evidence for this invasion and found none. He looked for corroborative historical mentions of this major event and found none. He also looked at linguistic background, as shown in the place names of Argyll, because Modern linguistics has developed levels of analysis that can sometimes show where Q-Celtic, that's Gallic names, were preceded by P-Celtic or Brythonic forms. This is what you'd expect to find in Argyll if it had previously been occupied by people speaking P-Celtic languages like Picts, the Britons of Strathclyde and the Gododin of Lothian. He found none. 
The sole source of the story was Bede, writing 200 years after the event was said to have happened. The story does not stand up, though to deny that there have been close cultural, religious, linguistic and even political relationships over millennia between Ireland and Scotland would be insane. Campbell concluded that before the development of proto-nation states of depict Strathclyde and Dalriada, that Argyll and Ulster were likely to have been part of a sea-based society with its heartland in Argyll. What this means is that the Scots were probably one of the component parts of the Caledonian Confederation that fought off the Romans from the first century onwards. Research in recent years has suggested that there were very close links, particularly at a dynastic level, between the Scots and Picts in the years leading to the founding of Alapa, which in turn became Scotland. These Celtic-speaking pastoral warrior societies had much more in common than what separated them. Further information can be found at www.stuartmchardy.wordpress.com Next time, we'll look at the coming of the Christians.